You're nobody on the internet unless someone thinks you're a fed. Somewhere between the fake suits, glowy anons, and schizo-posting bots, there's a country to save, but who can you trust? Blaze Media EIC, Matthew J. Peterson is here, and he knows the way. I'm James Polis. This is Zero Hour. Well, believe it or not, the theory and practice of information wars didn't start with Alex Jones. The French author Jacques Ellul wrote a whole book on propaganda, which he called The Formation of Men's Attitudes back in 1962. In 1970, Marshall McLuhan warned World War III would be a guerrilla information war with no division between military and civilian participation. Sound familiar? The digital medium plunged you, me, and everyone else into an increasingly total enclosure of information and perception, a more powerful weapon system that spilled a lot less blood than the previous wonder weapon, known as the hydrogen bomb. The next time you find yourself roped into the newest instance of the latest info war, don't shake your fist at a cloud, shake it at the cloud, the vast invisible network of data and data manipulators that obviously has something to do with bad guys versus good guys but has even more to do with the nature of the digital beast. This is what the latest technology just is. This is how it functions, the air that it breathes, the motions it goes through. Red pills, blue pills, brain worms, meme magic, call them what you will. I call it the wilderness of black mirrors, where everyone gets more than a little taste of the refracting paranoia and dissociation that once was the province of professional spies alone. Which is why, as Thomas Pynchon memorably wrote, It's not paranoia if they're really out to get you. And why it's all too plausible that the person on the other end of the screen you're tapping with your weaponized thumbs is really not your friend or ally, but an illusion, an adversary, a plant, a stooge, an informant, a cutout, an asset, maybe even a bot, maybe even an AI. If you're more than a little curious how exactly we're supposed to maintain our sanity and a functioning political life under these high stress conditions, you're not alone. People across America are desperate, not for change they can believe in, but an online social circle they can trust. The twist is, especially since the COVID lockdowns, offline society ain't what it used to be. Just locating friend material in your own hometown can be an exercise in self-demoralization. And when politics is as much a rat's nest as it is, even in fairly normal times, what's a citizen to do? In his Founder's Guide to Foundings, Zero to One, Peter Thiel says, People who start enterprises together should have what he calls a prehistory. From personal experience, I can tell you that's no lie, especially when it comes to unpacking our low-trust travails and navigating the political wilds of the black-mirrored wilderness. Just as the energy of the machine can never replace the energy of the soul, so must you vibe with the spirit for your real-life endeavors to bear real fruit. Which brings us to my friend and colleague, low these many years, Matthew J. Peterson. Matt Peterson is editor-in-chief of Blaze Media, previously as co-founder of New Founding. He developed media assets that were subsequently acquired by Blaze Media. A senior fellow at the Claremont Institute from 2018 to 2021, Peterson served as the vice president of education, directed their fellowship programs, and co-founded The American Mind. Along with a background in media politics and consulting, he has taught a wide variety of courses at various colleges and universities. He has the receipts. He knows where the bodies are buried. He lives with his wife and four children right here in Dallas, Texas. Matt Peterson, welcome to Zero Hour. Hey, it is great to be here. It's about time. This is good. You're tanned. You're rested. You're ready. New blaze. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really tanned. I'm semi-rested, but I'm ready. Perfect for the Uh internet been ready for a long time uh, to do this. All right. So what's on tap? I mean, you, this is a shifting landscape. This is, uh, yeah. this is a place where, you know, you can watch uh, major, uh, major stars in the media firmament, firmament flame out, disappear over a matter of weeks, if not days. Uh, this is a world where uh, Caitlyn Jenner has been signed as a Fox News contributor, I understand. Uh, where do you find yourself in this, uh, in, in this uh, stew? And uh, how do you think you can uh, help people paddle their way to, uh, to greener shores? Well, as we know, and as all the, uh, the audience of Blaze knows, uh, the interesting thing about Blaze is that Blaze was uh, the very beginning 
of, of all of it. Uh, Glenn Beck, famously, before Tucker, was Tucker uh, and, and with left, a chainsaw and left and left Fox News in glorious fashion. And I think what's astounding is it's not just history being replayed over again. It's that uh, what Beck did when he left Fox News and planted the flag for digital TV, TV on the Internet, uh, that was supposed to be impossible. That was a fad. Uh, and it was the very thing that, uh, dare I say it, uh, uh, people who were thinking ahead, like one James Polis was looking around going, this is actually where it's at. This is where media is at. This is where things are moving forward. This is what's unfolding. Glenn Beck understood that before everyone else and just planted the flag and said, we're going to do TV on the Internet, right? Uh, realizing full well all the dynamics that you see now in, in full bloom and full flower. And what are the dynamics? The dynamics are still at this hour, at, at zero hour, we still have uh, networks that are way behind the times, uh, that don't understand the digital media, that are still stuck in decades of, of past uh, you know, notions of status, uh, notions of what serious news is. It's all tied up in this package and it's still sitting there desiccated. Someone needs to, you know, kick it over. You think and, any of these big are. guys are going to are going to be around in five years? Uh, some, some of them. I mean, CNN's just like going going through the, the Rolodex burning CEOs. Uh, obviously, yeah. Fox News has its issues. Uh, MSNBC, uh, you know, it's, it's never really been on top. Are they going to survive? Uh, no, I think many of them are going to die. Some of them will survive in, uh, in a very different fashion. But what we see now is a death knell. It is a death rattle. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind about that. This is, this is finally the end. This is the last chapter for those media entities. And that's why it's an exciting time to be alive. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we enter this beautiful you know, new world where everything is great and grand and glorious. Because uh, what we see now is a kind of pressure, a centralized pressure from very powerful forces to control all of media, uh, you know, through the digital medium. But uh, I, I think it is the end. I don't think that they, they have the energy. I don't think they have the juice. And unless they, uh, unless they reinvent themselves out of a whole cloth, which I don't see happening because they are controlled from the top down, both from business, uh, you know, financial money, uh, as well as politics in a certain way, unless they fully re reinvented themselves uh, they they will lose. They will die. How do you talk about that top-down control without sounding like a crazy person, or is that just uh, comes with the territory now? Uh, well, I mean, I, I guess we're all uh, not normal people uh, if we're doing <laughs> what we're doing, uh, so I fully admit that. Uh, but I don't think it's crazy at all. I think it is, uh, it's simply how um, the world works. So you have to think about the fact that uh, the most powerful uh, newscaster uh, in recent memory uh, at the height of his powers, namely uh, Tucker Carlson, is nixed and just you know taken off of the Fox network uh, almost like that, right? He's just, he was gone. Why does that happen? Probably because an octogenarian man uh, decided that it was time that it happened. Um, that in other words, Rupert Murdoch, you know, at the very top of that organization, and other people at the top going along with this decision said, no, uh, that's what's been reported in the press, at least. It seems very plausible. That's not the rantings of a crazy person. That's the reality that you have people who own these companies completely far removed from, uh, you know, the actual environment in which their most popular figures are operating, making these determinations and decisions. Yeah, I mean, just to take uh, to Rupert as an example of this kind of top-down control that you're talking about. Obviously, mm -hmm. he's a powerful dude. You know, we've all seen the succession episodes. Sometimes <laughs> the only form of power you can wield when you're at the top is the power to just take people out in your own organization. Mm -hmm. uh, but you look at kind of what came out in, in the press about why that went down in the way mm -hmm. that it did. Uh, you had, you know, one, one meme was uh, Rupert didn't like the God stuff. Uh, he was really uncomfortable with, like, the good versus evil. Yes. Um, there was talk of, uh, you know, like a dinner that had been had previously where, uh, where some words were said and he felt like uncomfortable about it. Uh, I, I did a deep dive on uh, sort of uh, the, uh, the, the religious roots of, uh, of the family Murdoch. and some That's interesting fascinating. Stuff. That's fascinating. The interesting stuff there, uh, basically Presbyterians who bailed went to Australia uh, in search of a, 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 a more open-minded form of Presbyterianism, mm -hmm. an ongoing search. Uh, which seems to culminate in uh, in the, the Fox News actually. So there was that. Um, there was uh, there was the the Dominion suit. 
Um, word on the street, uh, Dominion said, even though Tucker did not uh, call our machines into question, he's still the guy that you need to uh, that you need to take down in order for us to settle this out of court. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had these different different things, different threads, different narratives. Um, all of them seem plausible. All of them probably all taking place at the same time because there is this sort of concerted like it's almost like a perfect storm of mm-hmm. like anti-Christian sentiment and uh, y- y- sketchy fortifications of elections. And Fortune 500 companies, and you know the, the same 25 people sitting on all all these corporate boards, and uh, really, you know, it's just sort of you can see the swarm of of cultural and economic currents concentrating into something harder, more more weaponized, more organized, um, and that's just you know that it's come down on Red America. Red Americans can see it. Uh, I know that you're you know dedicated to sort of cracking the code on how to uh, how to organize Red America in a way that does produce a sort of integrated. Loaded word, mm-hmm. cultural and economic renaissance of sorts. Um, how does the media piece fit into that larger picture for you? Well, I think first, I mean, just to acknowledge what you're saying, I mean, it, it really doesn't matter the exact straw that broke the camel's back and led to Tucker Carlson getting kicked off of the network, but uh, of Fox. But it's important to re- recall that as the basis for this entire conversation because it doesn't make any business sense, right? It wasn't a business decision. And that tells you everything you need to know about what media is and how it operates in this environment. This is not about uh, dollars and cents. This is about uh, political control and shaping, you know, the the narrative as it flows by uh, and uh, and shaping what you and I are allowed to see. Right. I mean, so this is about um, your, your the vision of the audience, what you are allowed to see and and what stories you're going to be told. And so. There's no way around, um, you know, organizing people for the sake of living a, a better way of life. There's no way around uh, political change, you know, the things that everyone's always yelling about in political commentary, uh, without media because it is that which shapes us together as a people. It's the, it's the vehicle by which uh, we tell the stories, uh, true, narrative, whatever, and how we unify, you know, we unify a, as a people. So... When you think about what's going on in media now, what's really interesting is, on the one hand, of course, over the last 20 years, digital technology enables anyone with a camera, uh, you know, relatively anyone in the West, uh, don't have to be that wealthy, you can take video of yourself and put it online. And if you say that in the abstract to someone in a time machine and go back 40 years, I said, that's amazing. You can get outside of the three networks and everyone who controls this now because mass media is controlled by centralized powers. And now, lo and behold, everyone can do this. And they have a, a video camera in their pocket. That's amazing. And of course, the, the battle continues. It, it, nothing has changed. In fact, there's a danger of centralization that's perhaps even greater than we saw before. So, so look, the way, the way to put this very simply is that um, media is the thing that sometimes people don't think about because they're just looking out at what they're allowed to see and they're looking at that thing. But what they're looking through is media and that's why it's important and it's about a lot more than business. And we can't even figure out how to live together uh, we can't figure out what the way of life we want is unless uh, we have media with clear sight showing us the way. I like to go back to Alexis de Tocqueville on this stuff. Uh, you know, maybe it's become an old habit at this point, but hey, the guy, the guy knew what he was talking about. Uh, not an anti-intellectual, uh, but his, his riff on newspapers, mm-hmm. newspapers plural, you know, every town uh, had at least one back in those days, um, unlike what we've got going on right now. Yeah. Um, uh, but he said, look, the, the reason why newspapers are so important in America, and they are very important, is not because they give people the news. That is sort of incidental to their real purpose as a social institution, as a mediating institution. Uh, and that purpose is to draw people out of the self-enclosure of their own little worlds mm-hmm. and give them a medium, literally, in which to organize, yeah. to freely associate, to you know, be in communication with one another, not for the sake of, of trying to, you know, oh, the best arguments will win and the discourse will create truth, not, oh, well, these are vetted pieces of information, these are true facts coming from you know, blue checks and experts who say that it's real, so you have to take it for real and it'll actually help you eat your vegetables. Um, none of that stuff. What it was was uh, this is how you get ordinary people in a large republic uh, to coordinate themselves in a fruitful way. Um, 
you go down that road and really that calls into question for me, the whole sort of disinformation narratives, the misinformation narratives, where people really do think of journalism as sort of like this fourth or fifth branch of government, depending on you know who's, who's counting, um, that, ha that plays a role and the role is uh, it, it receives uh, the, the information coming out of uh, the, the government's apparatus and packages it and disseminates it like a product or a service to the people. Um, that's bad enough as it is. Mm -hmm. That's a departure enough as it is from, from a Republican form of government. Uh, but then you layer on top of that, you know, not only is, is that good, according to those folks, but the opposite is bad. The opposite, you just can't let people talk to each other mm -hmm. about things that are happening in their lives and their communities. Mm -hmm. They're going to turn into whatever, autocrats, you know? Well, what do we have right now, if not an autocracy? Um, nevertheless, like, the internet is not a newspaper, and mm -hmm. the velocity with which things are changing, Apple wants to put the, go the goggles on your head, um, you know, uh, the way in which people consume information is transforming and the way, it, the kinds of things that you have to do just in order to sort of get people to coalesce, to congeal in some form. It's not like the old days where you just go to the printing press, you put out your newspaper and if you build it, they will come. How do you get that critical mass of people? How do you build that audience and how do you convert that audience from consumers of, of information into doers of things that need to be done? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very important question because, I mean, you started out saying uh, Tocqueville, um, who you are you are want to go back to. But uh, I think that is your your right. Um, makes a lot of sense. Tocqueville saying newspapers are kind of an organizing principle to get you out of uh, your uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But this is what you said. Right. Get you out of your local vibe, your own stuff. And it, it becomes a vehicle for the people to organize. Right. Um, this is precisely what. They don't want to happen now. Um, this is precisely what all the uh, all the all the rules and regulations and all the different disinformation stuff is supposed to stop, because they don't want people uh, people organizing. And so, in the in the sense where you are just packaging material or packaging you know facts as a product to be sold uh, by the the merchants of, of of narratives, by the sellers of official stories and the current thing. Uh, that that's become the good news is that becomes boring. Um, it's very hard to do advertising well, but advertising at its best uh, draws out our own desire for something else that we find attractive. It shapes our desires, and the problem is that you know these idiots are trying to just package uh, you know the dog food for us that's not very palatable in the first place. It's just it's boring. It's not it's not good content. It's not entertaining. It's not even entertaining. Uh, so it doesn't stir the soul. And the good news is that I think the the audience of the Blaze is already there. I mean, everyone everyone watching is is already there. Supporters of the Blaze, longtime supporters of the Blaze, already know this. They are hungry for a way uh, to support a, a way. Uh, for media to show them the kinds of things that they want to see. And I firmly believe uh, to point in a direction of what we should do, uh, you know, what we're fighting for, what we should do, not just, uh, you know, these other guys are really bad, uh, because we already know that already. We already know that. The next step for this entire ecosystem is, is not only to you know, leave Fox News behind, leave people who don't get it behind, but to point towards what should be done, and no one knows the answer to that question. Anyone who tells you right now, I have the solution to you know, solve the world's problems, that's nice. We'll hear them out, right? You and I, we'll all, we'll all listen. We'll hear them out. We tried having the solution to all the world's problems. It didn't work out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what we need to do is explore uh, people who are exploring, right, and show, uh, show interesting, uh, interesting uh, ways of life that... People are forging, uh, past really, people are forging throughout the country. And I think that there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of uh, interesting activity where people are organizing in interesting ways. They're taking action in interesting ways. And I firmly believe that there's an, an increasing audience every day of people who are going, you know, I'm done with all this noise. I know all this national, all this centralized stuff is terrible, but what do I do? How do I live? And I, I think that that is a direction in which, uh, you know, content needs to, needs to move to serve our audience. No question that the audience you, you've built up over the years is Blaze as, as a whole. You know, it's, a, it's an audience that trusts the brand, trusts the people involved. Um, and that is, uh, you know, that's, that's a currency of its own uh, in this world. 
Um, at the same time, you know, you got folks out there, uh, a lot of good, a lot of good people uh, living ordinary lives as as real Americans uh, who want, do not want to be known as as a customer of any particular brand. Mm -hmm. They want to hide behind an anime PFP. They want to proudly be pseudonymous or anonymous. Um, you know some of them well. You've interacted with them. You've played nice with them and even, uh, I, I think, made some careers uh, if, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to count it that way uh, at the American Mind and elsewhere. Uh, let's talk about the suits and the anons. Um, hard to build the trust, works in a different way, different kind of audience or one that you, that you see is, you know, that's at, at least some part of it can be kind of brought into that fold without ruining the special sauce. Well, first, not to make this a gratuitous love fest, but uh, you've made uh, careers, too, as part of Why founding the American now? mind. Right. Uh, and I think that we're both proud of, uh, of being able to um, highlight a number of voices that were being ignored by a lot of larger publications uh, in our recent past. This is something we've done, AmericanMind.org. We should give a, a shout out to our nonprofit friends at Claremont. That's right. Um, but... To the question, I think actually that there are a lot of similarities here. In other words, um, yes, there's a different audience that's a little edgier, um, that doesn't trust any brands for good reason, and that wants to remain anonymous for good reason. Uh, but I ultimately think that they are an audience that wants to go in the same direction as everyone else. In other words, um, there is a similarity between what the sued online wants on Twitter and what your, your, uh, your, your, your friendly boomer at home who is rooting for the right team to win wants as well. Because I think both of them want to know what to do now uh, because things are so bad. So first, I mean, let's acknowledge that the reason that people want to remain anonymous online is perfectly respectable and reasonable, and that is the revolution already happened uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, you can't say what you want without being persecuted at most professional jobs uh, and destroying your career if you're young. So you want to remain anonymous online. I think that's great. I think that's fine. You know who else wanted to remain anonymous when they were arguing about politics? The founders of this country called America. They were all suits as well. Good company there. That's great. Um, so we get it, right? Uh, number two, you don't trust brands. Of course you don't trust brands. Why should you? No one appears to have gotten it. No one appears to understand what's going on. They've all failed. This is, believe me, if that's you, you're, you're listening to this, yeah, I don't trust brands either. I don't know, Blaze or no Blaze, I don't know. We are people who have, James and I have seen this for years now, uh, and we realize the struggle. We see, right, why people don't trust these brands because in many ways they haven't earned that trust. Many of the media entities out there have not earned that trust and they have not grown with their audience and the reality on the ground. Um, so I understand where people are coming from, I think, but I think where, where everyone wants to go uh, is, is, is very similar. And that is speak the truth and show me uh, how to deal with uh, everything that's going on around me. I don't want to go full talk show, although maybe I do. But if there is, like, if <laughs> is there are, a, yeah, if there are some examples of like brands that had like a trust problem or like pretended mm -hmm. to be something that they weren't, and then it blew up on that, like any case yeah. studies that stick out to you as especially sort of emblematic of of what's wrong with this moment and how to break out of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of them. I mean, it's where to even begin. But let's start with, I mean, I believe you had uh, Gavin McGinnis on uh, your show already, and. Uh, Vice is a great example of this. I mean, Vice was an interesting brand. It was doing amazing work in media that was actually, you know, interesting. I actually wanted to watch it. It wasn't the same old stuff. You didn't know what was going to happen next. Uh, and talk about losing the thread. That entire company just blew up and started doing the same garbage that everyone else is doing uh, and just enforcing uh, the narrative upon itself. And in retrospect, I think the only reason it could do what it did is because a lot of times it was just going into uh, spaces that were uh, foreign. It was doing international stuff, right? Or uh, spaces internally that were no one else was touching. Didn't, they didn't do anything controversial in a way. It was, at, it was in blue sky area. Uh, and it, it, I think it lost complete trust and credibility to the point where years later, right, after being an enormous fan of what people like Gavin started, um, you know, I'm telling a reporter from Vice uh, before it blew up, I remember, I remember when you were actually cool and interesting, and that was the only line I gave them. 
Uh, you personally. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, yeah. Well, that reporter, <laughs> he was cool enough to actually put that in his article, so I'll give it. him yeah. that. Fair enough. Uh, but that's, that's one brand. If you look at conservative brands, the obvious, the big one is Fox. I mean, here's something that started as a radical proposition. Remember why Fox was needed? It was needed because there were only three networks, and they were in complete control, and they were the only ones you were supposed to watch, right? This problem has been with us for a long time, people. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, Roger Ailes is going, no, we can start something that is the upstart, right? They start the upstart. It's incredibly popular. And then it, too, gets assimilated into the Borg and has this problem of dissenting voices being spit out, whether that is Glenn Beck founding something new like The Blaze, in which that tradition will continue, that spirit will continue what we do, or whether it's Tucker Carlson learning the same lesson recently and getting spit out of Fox again, right? So what I think is needed now is uh, is an arc. Like everyone get in the arc. Let's just build, let's build media, let's bring people together and build what's needed now. So you want to get everyone in the arc. You, you, you're convinced that everyone wants to sort of learn or discover what it is to do rather than to just receive the, the feed. Um, generational dynamics mm. here. Uh, you, all the stereotypes, you know, you can just lay them out on the table and sort of marvel in their splendor. Um, but, of course, there's a kernel of truth to everything. And, uh, and you know, you kind of ask yourself, like, why hasn't anyone figured out how to do this yet? Why hasn't it happened yet? Is it because the boomers just want to grill and the Zoomers just want to, you know, I don't know, like, uh, uh, just, just, like, disappear into TikTok or whatever? Um, millennials, sorry folks, you, you hit puberty in like the beginning of social media. So it's kind of over for you. Like, and then there's Gen X out there. Mm. And, uh, I know that you have feelings about this, this very small, small generation, almost a micro generation, an artisanally brewed micro generation. Uh, arguably there's an even smaller slice that the Xennials, which we can also talk about if, if you dare. Um, do you see... In the Gen X experience, mm. something that is is untapped, but also especially useful right now as we're trying to get our arms around, what is it, four generations of Americans? Yeah, absolutely, I do, if I don't say so myself, uh, as a young Gen Xer. Um, but before that, let, let's preface this with um, all these generations have good and bad, and the stereotypes are ridiculous. I mean... Uh, boomers take a lot of crap, but also boomers are the basis of any kind of civilization still existing in America. Um, and without without the boomer generation who is, uh, you know, rock solid, um, you know, fighting the Borg themselves, we're done. Um, so it's easy to rip on the, the bad ones, but the good ones, you know, all these all these generations, they're all people. Uh, they're divided and they make the world go round uh, when they're they're fighting for the right side of things. Nonetheless, there are some uh, stereotypes that hold true. And look, what happens is over time, uh, the situation changes, the environment changes, and different people from different backgrounds have a better way of getting at the problem, right? Okay, so if Gen X does have a chip to play, first off, you should rip on anyone who says they are Gen X for saying, I don't know what you guys have done because you kind of suck. I mean, I don't know. Tell me about it because you're just quiet. I don't know what's going on there. And maybe you complain sometimes, but you just kind of complain and silently suffer and go along. A lot of them became libertarians, and we saw how that turned out. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to get involved in this. I'm not on any side. You know, everything sucks, and uh, it's the way it is. Uh, that was kind of the, the mindset. Um, but I think there is a transitional, uh, um, you know, application to the Gen X mindset that you do see now where there's an acknowledgement of the reality on the ground, a reality that has been ignored for a long, long time. Um, and old institutions, old structures that do not meet the demands of the moment, that, that old, old ways of thinking that don't meet what people actually need now or want now, right? And so that has been building. That has been building for a long time in the Gen X experience. So if there's anything that I could contribute generationally, it would be a sort of seeing... Uh, you know, some old good stuff, seeing what reality is right now, and then having suffered enough, <laughs> right, to to be the adults who weave these things together, right, uh, to try to meet the demands of the moment. And I, I would say um, that if that sounds a little too abstract, they should read Human Forever and uh, and talk a little bit about maybe what this generation could contribute because it's also we stand in between the rise of this digital uh, you know, thing 
and what came before it. And here we are, having grown up in something else, something where the phone was you know, attached to the wall, even though in my house you could walk a pretty long way with it, uh, to, to now our minds being attached to the phones in our pockets. Uh, that's something we saw that transition, right? So if anything, we can help now in identifying what's needed and, and trying to bring people together from all these generations to address it. Well, you mentioned it, so uh, so now I, I am contractually bound. Here it is. If you don't know, it's Human Forever, uh, The Digital Politics of Spiritual War. My book, it's at canonic.xyz. Uh, buy it in Bitcoin. It's on-chain, safe from all of the bad stuff, safe from Wall Street, safe from uh, from publishing, uh, uh, censorious publishers, uh, editors. Um, I mean, you look at the way that like traditional media has responded to uh, technological change, and... Uh, Either they're trying to lock you down with it or they're trying to lock their own jobs down. Um, you got a lot of guys in tech who kind of have that, that Gen X sensibility that you're talking about where it's like, okay, I've waited long enough. Mm. Um, I can do this. If you're not going to put me in, then I'm going to find a way to put myself in. Um, whether or not that comes off as threatening to people, depending on their generation, I don't know. Uh, but it does seem like you know, there's a real... I mean, the, what I hear from some of these tech guys uh, at a pretty high level is, you know, I wish I could just clone like the four or five really, really first rate founders mm -hmm. who I know because there just isn't enough ambition in America anymore. And the only way that we're going to sort of Apollo 13 it around mm -hmm. the dark side of the moon and come back home is through that kind of ambition. Now, of course, you know, ambition can be a double-edged sword. Not necessarily a good thing, not necessarily a virtue, something that does seem to be natural, although technology is maybe testing that proposition right now. <laughs> um, how do you see that coming into play? And you know, do, you, do you think that, that, uh, that there is a way that we, can, that we can once again find sort of channels or networks, capillaries, for, uh, for fruitful ambition to flow back into the, the cultural economic piece? Uh, it's a great question. In some ways, it's the question. And, and, you know, is the ambition there? Is the desire there to do good, to fight against evil, uh, and to uh, bring about, you know, uh, this, the, the truth, the goodness, the beauty that we want in human civilization, to fight against the darkness, to fight against the dying of the light? And, and I guess, you know, my, my general answer would be absolutely that ambition exists. It's been squashed. It's been crushed by people who don't want to see that exist, right, in our, in our cultural life. It has been crushed by all kinds of, you know, systemic uh, institutional factors where these institutions aren't working anymore, notably the schools, and they're not inspiring people, media, right, stories aren't inspiring people. But within the human soul right now, in the hearts and minds of many young men in their 20s, let's say, they know what's needed. They know. They feel it in their bones. And they have the ambition. It needs to be unlocked. It needs to be channeled. I refuse to believe that we're just going to die. We're just going to let it all go and die out. That is not the way the human soul works. But uh, what people do need, what those, what those young men do need is to be unlocked, to be unleashed, to be unchained, to be channeled, to see how it is still possible to be great how there is still greatness possible to us, how winning is still possible. Um, and, and I think that the problem is, is less about, um, you know, the, the, the ambition dying out, right? Uh, and it's more about it's not being channeled. It's not, you know, it's not being shown the way. And so this creates a profound dissatisfaction in people. And the way that I'd put it is that, you know, it's the same desire that leads someone to addiction. I mean, there, there could be someone who's, you know, homeless on the street is just doing smack and, you know, fentanyl uh, because of the same desire in their soul that the right way could lead them to greatness, could lead them to glory. You're not going to, you're not going to get rid of uh, the, the human soul and, and what it is. Uh, you can only quench it. You can only try to snuff it out. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's constant talk of, of war. It's there's you got the spiritual war, you got the culture war, you got the economic war, you got the war on drugs, the war on poverty, things mm -hmm. that you know have been tried many times, failing. You know, mm -hmm. world, woke war three or World War woke, whatever you want to call it. Um, and yet, you know, America hasn't won a war in how long? And so what, that kind of the demoralizing effect mm -hmm. of like, well, if we can't win any real wars, then how are we supposed to win other wars? Uh, that all by itself is, is painful. And then when you combine it with the way that the response from above has been to say like, well, you know, not only can men 
not win wars in America, but mm. they really can't do anything else. You can't be a priest, you know, mm. then you're a pedo. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, except in <laughs> church, apparently. Um, you can't be a, like a CEO, because that's, that's greed. You're mm. just greedy, avaricious, that's bad. Uh, you can't be a father, that's the patriarchy. Uh, you know, you run through the list of all of the, the vocations mm -hmm. uh, that have been available to men of ambition and skill and talent and competence since the, the beginning. Uh, and it's just a no. It's a no yeah. all the way down the list. Um, and so you got guys who are like, okay, fine, I'll just, I guess, try to become a woman. Uh, I'll just soy out and, and revert to perpetual boyhood. Maybe I'll just, you know, tap out completely, take the, the suicide pot option. Um, or, or, you know, I, I guess a handful of them run off to go be uh, mercenaries or conflict journalists. But, you know, I was talking to, to, to Gavin, and you know, he just wasn't really interested in any of that conflict mm -hmm. journalism stuff that Vice was doing. And I was like, bro, this is sort of like the la one of the mm -hmm. last sort of crumbs of cheese that were allotted to young men. And some of those guys went off and, and got themselves killed uh, in Libya and some other places. A few of them came back, you know, pretty much scarred for life, but there's risk involved there. And you, if, the, if, if society is closing off men to risk and to uh, uh, a courage, courageous exercise of their faculties, mm. what's going to be left for them? No, that's absolutely right. And it, it, the, closure, the closing off to risk comes from a uh, this this Byzantine society in the in the in the bad way. If you were if you were <laughs> if to you use that word yeah. pejoratively, a, 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 a if you were just a big bureaucracy is all I mean, right? A, a bureaucratic society um, that has all kinds of complicated, large-scale institutions that exist not to really achieve anything great, but to minimize risk for everybody, and that's what you see happening, and that's why. Uh, this this noble male spirit that's just natural to to humanity is being uh, is being quenched is being extinguished because uh, what you see what society values is the person who minimizes risk to the nth degree and in a way where they have no skin in the game ever and that's you know you get the grades you go to the right place no one gives a shit what you learn at these schools no one cares what's in there I still have to explain this to parents sometimes like no one. They didn't, you didn't learn Googling in, you know, in your Googling school. Like, that's not how it works. You went there to get the degree. You went there to get the piece of paper and, and to move on and move up this ladder. And it, within that ladder, increasingly, you know, there's toxic leadership as well. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of psychopathy going on uh, within uh, this bureaucratic system because you can game it if that's the way you are. And so everyone just sort of silently suffers and moves up the ladder. There's no space to explore. There's no frontier. There's no grass to touch. You know, it, there's no field. You're just, you're, you're put down all these pathways. So that's absolutely true. And what's needed now is a, really a commercial cultural movement in the commercial cultural space, right? People who really are brave and when it comes to investment. People in finance who actually do have a vision and aren't just, you know, moving money around the table among their friends or minimizing, uh, you know, risk forever. Uh, people who really are brave to open up space for others to come in. And, and, and a lot of that's what's, what's going on now. I, I mean, for instance, go back to the Gen X thing. If all that I can do is, is op I hope to do a lot more, but, but if all I was able to do was open a door and just show here, open space, it's out here, sneak out, go out there and conquer, right? That's a success in this environment. And so, look, is it bad? Yes. But the more that they build up this, this mitigation, this, this risk mitigation system that they've created, the more people are dissatisfied and you can never completely control or, or encircle uh, the human spirit in that way. And the more that you do so, the more that desire is going to build up to break outside of it. So, you know, I guess it only makes sense in a way that the pe many people uh, who are preoccupied with this problem are turning, hopefully, uh, hoping against hope, maybe, uh, to technology. Mm. Like, well, you know, we've got to get out of this. How are we going to do it? Maybe we can somehow, you know, this is something that seems to be working, even if it's working maybe too much in a certain way. Mm. Maybe we can just harness it and guide it, shape in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, you talk about the boomers sort of being the last vestige, really, of the, the great high modern America of yore, where it was all grand scale uh, infrastructure projects and, you know, mm -hmm. sort of uh, 
beautiful postcards of, uh, of astronauts and stuff. Mm. Um, there are skeptics. Uh, there are skeptics, and uh, and not just people who think space isn't real. Uh, <laughs> there, you know, there's there are some concerns that like, well, you know, has that movement really has, has that moment passed? Is the movement going to pass? Mm. Um, do you have any confidence that uh, that some kind of reconfiguration or harnessing of tech is going to be a part of that kind of opening of the door and showing people new frontiers? Well, uh, as may be shocking, I do not disagree with you, I don't think, on this issue. Well, that's um, really... I, I, I think there is some agreement here, but let's discuss it. I do not think that technology alone or technological uh, success alone, which means the conquering of nature in some way, even with something as noble as exploration, which is noble in itself. I mean, it is, it's glorious to go out and explore in the woods yourself. You're a kid, you should do that. If you're an adult, you should do that now. You're like, go touch grass, yes. That is a good thing. Uh, getting on a ship and sailing around the world and discovering, that is, those are all good things. Going to the moon is a good thing. But, but even stuff like that, that is good, right? Uh, on its own, it's not enough. Uh, because human beings are, um, are, 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 they exist in... Uh, a world that they, they look around and see and they need to know what's beyond it. There's no getting out of a theological vision uh, in which human beings operate. And so there always has to be higher purpose. Uh, even when you, uh, you, you say, well, I mean, everyone wants money or you know, success or they want the big house, right? It's never all the case. There always has to be, they, yes, they want those things and they can, they can wallow in those things like an animal, but what they really want is something more. They're never quite satisfied with just that. They want what they do to be tied to something with higher purpose. And I would say that the problem is, if, you, if you're sitting listening to me uh, at home, the problem is when you think about all the technology that we have now and the reason that we have it, there's not a lot of greatness attached to that, right? I mean, we're going to put the glasses on so we can pretend we're watching TV on a bigger screen. Like, turtles all the way down, screens all the way down. You Why are, are we the doing TV this? now, bro. <laughs> Yes, you're it. <laughs> but why? And why do we want to watch the story on the screen anyway? We want the screen. We want the story on the screen ostensibly because it tells us something that moves us to something higher, right? That's the story you want to watch. So, so I, I think that there's an enormous problem when you've taken all the meaning out of, of of human life and you say, well, tech for tech's sake is great. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. It's a disaster that we are already, you know, well into. Uh, we're experiencing that suffering the effects of it now. So. So the question would be, the interesting question would be, um, what, what, what sort of uh, you know, technological uh, advancement would actually make us better humans, make us more human, help us to remain human forever or something like that? But, but those questions also fascinate people mm -hmm. when they start to think about what that might mean. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that gives me hope. Do you think the political situation is going to change so dramatically uh, over the next couple of years that it's going to have a, an independent effect on how media is going to unfold? Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, uh, how do we say this politely? I don't think there's any polite way to say it, so let's just not be polite. I mean, we live in an increasingly totalitarian system uh, when it comes to media where uh, this network and every network that exists has to be very careful about what they say be because of the political situation, right? So there's a direct connection at this point between um, the shape of, uh, of what you see in the media and the control uh, of government. And this has made everyone paranoid for good reason. Uh, and it, it has these, uh, these, these ripple effects that are, um, that are really uh, unbelievable. I mean, things that no one th saw, think, thought they would see in their lifetime, right? And now young, young kids today are just getting used to having a totalitarian government, uh, you know, in charge of media uh, fighting. So there's a, the great question really is, uh, can we still have uh, dissenting media, right? Uh, and can we connect with that audience in a serious way where we really all do, uh, um, you know, live together <laughs> and support each other uh, such that we can overcome the censorship and the opposition? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you look around at, uh, at other sort of comparably sized or, or powered countries in the world, and uh, how are they responding to this sort of, you know, software eats the world, digital mm -hmm. dominance? 
uh, they, they're going right to the, the root of their civilization's religion. You know, mm-hmm. the Russians are doing this with orthodoxy. Yes. Chinese are doing this with Taoism. Uh, Israelis definitely not, not running away from mm-hmm. their, their, their religious identity. Uh, in Europe, you know, the Vatican really wants to be involved in sort of like mm-hmm. making some, some deeply thought out decisions about how to regulate technology. Uh, but here, you know, we have a First Amendment and, uh, and it's a little more complicated. And uh, this has always been a place where, hell, if you want to create your own religion, you just take the wagon train a few days ride further to the <laughs> west and you're good. Um, that can cause some problems when it comes to social trust. Mm-hmm. And you see this, you know, whether it's on, on Twitter or outside of the Twitterverse, uh, you got the, the Catholic integralists and the, the Protestant mm-hmm. Christian nationalists and the mm-hmm. ortho bros, and you got all these, mm-hmm. these, uh, these factions developing. Uh, and sometimes, you know, factions within the, the different churches. Some of, some of those uh, mainline churches are, are waving that, that other flag. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are still waving the, uh, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I should know this. Um, when you try to gather those people together uh, through media, for the purposes of revitalizing the institutions, getting the lifeblood of a commercial republic mm-hmm. moving again. Uh, that can be inspiring. It can be a sort of a scam. You know, y- y- your mileage may vary on someone like mm-hmm. Tim Scott, but like you kind of, oh, it's in this box and it's a lot of tissue paper in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can also be, uh, it can also create, I think, you know, a, a sort of self-reinforcing uh, feeling that, uh, that America can hang together uh, as a place where, uh, where yeah, it's not going to be a sort of uh, a theocratic solution. Even if, you know, you look around the world elsewhere and you go, man, it seems like they're just taking the shortcut to getting on top, sort of reasserting a basis for sovereignty over all of this digital stuff that's sort of filling everything else up. It's a little more difficult for, for the U.S., isn't it? Yes. Um, look, I think you have wanted me to write this down uh, for a few months. Many, many times. <laughs> and so I will just do a short version of what, uh, what I believe you, you requested, and I've been delinquent on. One since medium I, or another, I will get you. I, I had to take this job. You know, uh, a lot to do with the blaze. I'm just working hard. Uh, yes, all these factions, all these subgroups are out there. And so how do you even have something coherent that gets people excited and moves in a different direction? Well, first... Let's just stick with the theological. The greatest division, I would argue right now, in uh, Christianity is not the old, centuries-old, maybe uh, millennial-old division between the Orthodox, the Catholic, and the Protestant. The greatest division is even older than all of that, which is a division between the spirit of the age and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so, on the one hand, you you got a church, Christianity. On the other hand, you got what the government wants or what the spirit of the age is, what the cool thing is at the time, right? And there's always a tension between those things. So right now, very simply, is it a rainbow flag Christianity or not? If it is, uh, I think you've, you know, you've started to alter into the tractor beam of the spirit of the age, good or bad, whether you like it or not. And the real division um, throughout these, these Christian churches or all these subgroups you're talking about, as everything fractures and you see uh, the rainbow flag religion sort of, uh, you know, cannibalize and take over and you know, the revolution's already occurred, it's, it's oppressive, it's, it's, it's moving forward, everything is changing into rainbow colors, especially the month we're recording this. Even uh, some colors that aren't in the rainbow. Yeah, yes, no, it's a, it, as you see that happen, uh, what's interesting is uh, you see all of a sudden a, a coalition that uh, will have to coalesce in some way that opposes this. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of weak to and not have any unity and just be in opposition to something that's oppressive. But that's a start. And then you start to realize, well, wait a minute. A lot of these people that I'm talking about, they want to live a certain way of life that is excellence over equity, uh, has to do with, uh, with um, you know, the kind of virtues that, that make us human that many traditions uh, believe in and actually have a lot in common with them. I'd want to raise my kids in that neighborhood with them rather than uh, with people who reject the basic understanding of what a man is and what a woman is, or what a citizen is, or what a nation is, or what a family is, uh, or when life begins and ends, right? And they have a different view of that than I do. So I don't think that, I think that there's a very important intellectual debate here. There are very important ideas that are surfacing. It's a wild and crazy time for ideas, and that's great. That can be very interesting. We should explore that. But I also think that practically, when it comes to how should I actually live 
there is a, a unity, a, a, a coalescing unity that will come together at first in opposition to this, to this oppression that we see out there. Uh, and we'll see what comes of it, right? Um, so I, I'm not uh, devoid of, of, of hope. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not sanguine about, you know, any one tribe winning, uh, but there is a sort of, maybe not Christian nationalism, but if you stick with Christianity, but Christian federalism that's going to have to emerge, or otherwise, I don't think uh, there's any victory. You know, one of the most uh, boomer things uh, that, I, that I think back on, a piece of wisdom from my own father uh, mm. when I was a, a, a young lad, he said, uh, you know what a man's suit should say about him? And mm. I was like, uh, no, 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 nothing. And that was like the boomer ideal of mm-hmm. like you present yourself as a professional, mm-hmm. as someone who inhabits the role. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's not about your quirkiness. Yeah, you're not yeah. trying to like, no pins, no yeah. badges, no flair. Mm-hmm. It's not Applebee's. It's not Starbucks. Yeah. You're not like performing an identity in your work capacity. Nevertheless, there are souls behind those suits and there is, <laughs> there is a Matt Peterson behind that blazer. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your prehistory the pre, mm. pre-Blaze and even the pre, pre-media era mm. for you, uh, specifically um, what you learned from uh, your own little version of True Detective, sort of plumbing the dark underbelly of uh, Los Angeles, the sort of decaying metropolis. Uh, you, saw some, yeah. you saw some stuff, a uh, glimpse into human nature, a glimpse mm. into uh, the, the, the big blue city of blue America, mm. uh, a glimpse into you know, what, what men uh, become when those channels of ambition toward more fruitful ends are, are taken away. What, what was, how did that pan out for you and sort of lead you where you find yourself now? It's a great question. And as you know, um, even though a lot of people don't like the second season of True Detective, uh, season two, uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly in part because they had clearly done some homework and research and, and uh, you know, used anyway, in a, in a fictional kind of way, but used some of the stories that I was familiar with even towns, cities I was familiar with in, uh, in Southern California. Quote unquote cities, population 34. <laughs> yes. Uh, so there is a place called the City of Industry. You can look it up. Look up the City of Industry. And the City of Industry is full of industry. Uh, and in the past, it really was founded, um, it was really founded because there was an asylum there. Uh, and this became an old folks home, I believe now. Um, that gave a pretense for a city that was mostly industry um, that, you know, involved some tax write-offs and, and other things. And this city has been in trouble, just as, uh, uh, you know, an example, for, for decades. Uh, people have been in trouble uh, in and around the city of industry for supposed corruption. And uh, it's the kind of thing that you, you look at and say, I didn't realize this could exist in America if you have not been red-pilled yet. And that was, that was me, I think, the first, uh, the first real turn for me to realize how bad things are uh, at this point was uh, really looking at the flow of money and power in some of the cities in Southern California and thinking to myself, this is not what I would call a democracy, at least a healthy one. In some cases, it's not really the form of democracy at all. And, and why is that? And, and what's going on here? And what happens is if you take away the normal channels for ambition to do something great for the sake of the community, for the sake of the common good. This is something that men want to do. They, they want to little boys. They want to do something good for the family. Uh, if you take that away in a healthy sense, uh, then all of a sudden you, you, you haven't changed um, the desire. You've just channeled it a different way. And so all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's lots of predators uh, out in the ocean and there's people who are going to protect various communities from those predators who uh, have to have sharp teeth themselves. And do you see this world in which all this taxpayer money is just kind of you know, flowing out there, ready to be captured by whoever captures it? Uh, and the battle is over uh, you know, capturing that flow of revenue and, and uh, planting your flag. And you know, if, you're a re- if you're a real estate developer, for instance, Southern California, I mean, you've got to pay off a lot of people to, to build stuff. It's just the way it is. That's the society that we live in now. Uh, and, uh, and to see that uh, up close in a visceral way was, was very interesting, as well as, as, as how no one's covering it, right? I mean, it, it, part, of, part of the reason this exists is because there, there was no media spotlight anymore. There was no local newspaper. There was no community looking uh, uh, to hold people accountable. And so in that sort of darkness, 
you know, all kinds of uh, hierarchy and civilization nonetheless grows, even if it's uh, grotesque at times. Yeah, that's right. Uh, And, uh, you know, to a degree, like, I mean, look, uh, organizations uh, rise and fall. People's fortunes rise and fall. It's another another big Tocqueville thing. Mm. America, you can never be too sure if you've made it. You know, Mm. you can you can make it and then watch your children and grandchildren just sort of ruin everything. And over the course of what's left of your lifetime. Blaze has had its fortunes rise and fall, and uh, and and it's it's a reminder, I think, that you know that that gotcha question of American politics, like, do you think America's best days are ahead? And it's like, well, you know, n- not tomorrow, <laughs> like, not maybe not next week, but like eventually, yes, right? Um, that's that's the vibe that I'm getting from you as kind of the big picture here is like, yes, we're going to have to go over the falls. We're going to have to go into the tunnel or the dark night of the soul or whatever. But sometimes it is that experience itself that even makes it possible to then like rise up afterward. Uh, that if you are not tested and you do not test yourself and you do not see yourself being tested and see others relying on you to pull through for them and with them, uh, then how are you ever going to achieve greatness? How are you ever going to have a sort of achievement that you can, you know, take at least a moment's rest to appreciate for what it is? Yeah, amen to that. I mean, that's what we need. We need, I think we need that kind of attitude. And, and I would say, look, there's a certain aspect to this where even if um, all the bad things happen, everything that everything, everyone's worried about, all this bad stuff is going to happen. You hear about it every day, right? Uh, apocalypse every day. Uh, it's all going to, we're all going to die. Okay, you got to sit back and realize how are you living your life with the people that you love? And what relationships do you have with the people around you? Because the idea that you can't enjoy life in the midst of the usual you know, crap show that is the world is satanic. That's ridiculous. You can still have joy in your life. You can have a better quality of life in the midst of the madness. And my example with that is uh, most people know, some relative at least, who lived through two world wars and a Great Depression in the last century, and they still had a colorful life full of hopes, dreams, joys, thrills, ups, downs. It, it doesn't, the, your quality of life particularly does not have to suffer because of the dystopian aspects of the world in which we now live. Joys, ups, downs, and, and offspring and children. Yes. Uh, I remember my, my great uncle's 90th birthday. He made it mm. past 100. Uh, it was his 90th birthday. Um, and he was asked uh, what his favorite decade was. Mm. And, uh, you know, this is a guy who started smoking a pipe in his 20s and was like, <laughs> d- deployed to yes. India during World War II, was sort of like staging area for the invasion of Japan that never came. Uh, and it took him, you know, about half a second to go, oh, the 40s, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and some might say that's privilege. <laughs> but, uh, you know, where were his grandparents uh, when they were his age? And they were, they were in Greece. You know, they were fighting the, the Balkan Wars. They were mm-hmm. trying to exfiltrate their family. They were watching their city burn. Uh, it's, there's no escape from this kind of stuff. Uh, and it's certainly not to say that, you know, can't wait for that next war, cleansing fire, <laughs> like, bring, you know, finally all the best stuff happens. I was getting so anxious, like... Uh, and there, but, but there is something sort of, yeah. you know, it, sometimes it seems a little more perverse, but sometimes there's a certain kind of virtue to it where people are like, enough, I'm tired of waiting, I'm ready for the fight, I'm ready to have it out. Like, let's get this done. Let's face our fears and let's tackle them. Yeah, I think that's the boldness that people should have. I mean, they should look around and say, right now is the time, I think, for, for anyone listening to think, how do I want to live my life? Where do I want to live? Who do I want to live it with, right? We all have uh, obligations and traditions and so forth, and that, that those are good. Um, but you got to think about that right now. Instead of being depressed, right? If, if you're sitting around going, everything sucks, everything's terrible, all the bad things are happening, all the bad people are winning, there's no hope. Okay, I don't care whether you're right or wrong about that. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to manage living your life? Because here's the option you have. The little screens that are in our pockets, they want your soul. They want all of you. They want all of you all the time. And you can sit there and you can just pour your lifeblood, pour the precious eternal soul that you have into that screen and do nothing with your life, right? And waste it and atrophy as a human being and become less and less happy. Or you can turn it off and you can figure out, well, how do I act in the situation I'm in? And what will end up happening is you can find greatness, you can find happiness, you can find glory, you can find peace, you can find comfort if you just turn around and start living your life 
uh, you know, and adapt it to the circumstances. And here's where, um, you know, here's where fortitude is needed. And here's also where good media is needed to show the way, to show the possibilities. You don't have to live this way. You can figure out how to live dis- differently. That's what we need to explore. That's the, that's the winning message. Because if enough people realize that and come together to live a decent way of life, a more human way of life in the age in which we live, we will solve problems. And those who want to oppress us will find it exceedingly difficult to do so. People want to hear that voice outside their own head telling them what they know is true. And uh, to bring it all the way back around to those newspapers that bring Americans out of their self-enclosure and into some active life, you know, that's still a role that media can perform despite all, all the changes and transformations. Done right, I think you really can. Uh, sort of get get that hook into people where they sort of snap out of it for a minute and realize like, oh, right, yes, right, the real world, mm-hmm. one life, let's go do this. <laughs> Matthew Peterson, thanks for joining us. That, I see zeros across the board literally all the time we have, at least until next time. If you want to become a Blaze TV subscriber and help us create more content exactly like this, almost, go to blazetv.com and use the code zero hour 20 for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. This is Zero Hour. That was Matt Peterson. I'm James Wallace, and may God have mercy on us all.